This is Emergency FD Storyline. You should always be training, always be doing stuff. As long as you're on the job, you always have to be a student of the game because everything is always changing. Whether it's building, construction, tactics, whatever, we're always trying to improve on things. And if you're not keeping up with that, then you need to put your papers in and, and go do something else, especially for a job that can kill you in, in a second. Firefighting is a calling, a commitment to serve others. Also, it's a commitment to serve one another within the fire family. Despite its traditions, firefighting is a lifetime of learning, training, and working hard so you can be on top of your game when duty calls. The views expressed on this program are from the guest and the host and do not necessarily represent the views of any government agency, private company, or public service. Emergency FD Storyline's focus is to tell the stories of those in the fire service and to highlight what matters to our first responders. I'm your host, Tom Mann. My guest is a second-generation firefighter. The first time I met him, I said to myself, now, that's a firefighter. He looked the part. He talked the talk and he walked the walk. It seems to me, when you're a second generation firefighter, you carry the traditions and the passion to serve your community and your brothers and sisters in the fire service. My guest is an active member of the Metropolis Fire Department located in Metropolis, Illinois. He's also a training officer for that department and an instructor for the Illinois Fire Service Institute. He works hard and is always learning. His father was a firefighter, and he's a firefighter. And you'll notice, my guest lives with a deep passion for the job and his fellow firefighters. You could say, he's a firefighter's firefighter. He is second gen, and that's our storyline. You know, there are superheroes, and there are superheroes with me is a friend of mine that is one of those. He's actually from Metropolis, and he's one of the superheroes there, one of the real ones. Outside of Superman, with me is uh, our fighter, Bobby Williams. Bobby, good to have you here. <laughs> oh, thanks for having me. I, I, don't know about, I don't know about the superhero part. <laughs> well, anyway, you're actually from Metropolis. You're actually Metropolis Fire Department, Metropolis, Illinois. When I moved here in this area, I was like, Metropolis, is that where Superman is? They're like, yeah, seriously, that's where it is. No, I never heard that before. Never heard that before. No, I'm kidding. Tell me what you do, your role. Uh, I'm an engineer there, and I'm also the training officer for Metropolis. Last month, I celebrated my 27th year. That's a long time. My 30th year in the fire service this year. Always got to be a student of the game. And it's a family thing, too. Your dad was a firefighter? Dad, yes. I'm second generation, yes. And, and it's ironic because growing up, I, I didn't even want to be a fireman. Dad's doing it, so I don't want to do it. Is that kind of what it was? Or not just... really. No, not really. I, I uh, you know, I pretty much I was born in the, in the firehouse, and it was cool going to see the guys and, and stuff, but I didn't have any really interest in it. Give you a little background of my father. When he got out of the military in 64... I know he got hired on the job in 65 in Cairo, Illinois. He was on the job there from 65 to 70, uh, and then took a job as an instructor with the University of Illinois Fire Service Institute. Did that for a year traveling, and then got on full-time in Carpentersville, which there's four of us kids. Three of us were born in Elgin, because I get that a lot. It's like, well, how did you, where were you born? How did you end up down back there, you know, in Cairo? My dad he was a lieutenant on, on the engine, and a good friend of his was a lieutenant on a truck who was born in the city and lived basically grew up in a firehouse. 
So they would go in and ride in the city all the time. And uh, he's got quite the quite the stories of that. Of course, but back in the day in the 70s, I mean, during the, what they call the, uh, the war years, you know, when a lot of the big cities were having a lot of fires back then. In 77, he wanted to take his education experience and go back home, which my, my mom wanted to stay up north, but that's how I ended up growing up in Cairo. And for those who don't know in Illinois, we're talking about where we are. It's six plus hours up to Chicago way, and that's basically where you're talking about where your dad was. So. Yeah, northwest of yeah northwest Chicago, northwest of Chicago. Yeah, that's a big area, huge area. Oh yeah, a lot of tradition up there. Lots. Tell me a little bit about your training, your your specific your background, and how you got where you are. Like I said, I, I you know I honestly didn't have any interest in it. I took a little bit of interest in it as far as like uh doing the volley thing i've not really spoken about this very much there was a a particular fire that i saw how it affected my father where there was reported kids trapped in in this house and it was it was a good working fire the outcome ended up not the same as what happened before but i just i watched how everything took place and how how the the fire ground tactics well i say that now i didn't really know what the heck it was back then necessarily that's kind of how the the bug bit me and 30 years later here i am where where did you start i volleyed with a small department uh mound city illinois I got on there i wasn't there very long and then i got on uh in Cairo, where my father retired from that's where i really got my start you know and back in the day in the early 90s we caught a lot of fires you know whether they were intentionally set or or accidental but we you know when we say you know as fire firefighters you know we catch a good fire i mean just some good workers back in the old days firefighters didn't train necessarily they just they got their training on the job and worked a lot of fires and i've been very fortunate was fortunate to catch a lot of fires in my younger years when i first started out especially with with my old man he was very it has always been very proactive on education and training. You have to train for a job that'll kill us. Is that what kind of got your interest as far as instructing and training and doing the things that you do now? Which, tell me about that, because to me, that's one of the big things about you when I met you. I got to know you. I drug my feet for a long time because Dad taught. He got hired by U of I in, in 1970. And I, I remember being a little kid. He'd take me to classes all over Southern Illinois. To, to the different departments that he would teach at. Getting involved in the fire service, I would go to trainings or whatever, especially when I got hired full-time in Metropolis. The reason I, I'm, I'm here is because of my father. Very blessed to have met a lot of really good people. Had great influence. That have been my mentors along with my father. Like I said, I drug my feet for a long time getting on staff. Two reasons. One, I wasn't really ready. Younger, just I was too busy doing other stuff. Didn't really have the maturity to be on board and, and be on field staff to teach. And it wasn't until probably 2012, 2013 that I got asked to come on board. Best things I ever did to, to be around a lot of really, really great people. We're talking about the Illinois Fire Service Institute. Yes. And again, tell me a little bit about that for those who don't know what that is. Uh, we're the State Fire Academy in Champaign, Illinois, University of Illinois. We teach a lot of different classes fire officer classes specialty classes collapse trench firefighting classes whether it's truck ops engine ops a fast class confined space writ class just a multitude of different disciplines that uh, 
that are taught there. You had some stories, some things we're going to get into related to that. But I also want to come around a little bit. Some of the other things you're involved in, you brought a whole set of commemorative coins here. Uh, oh, yeah, just to give you an idea of the different things that, that I've had fortunate to, to, uh, to be involved in. So tell me about those commemorative coins that you brought in here. What, what do they represent? Because, again, one of them's uh, University of Illinois and the Fire Service Institute. What are the other ones? Uh, the uh, AFFI uh, Honor Guard that I was, I was inducted in 2002. It was started by a, a uh, Springfield firefighter in 1993. I have been a part of it ever since 2002. And anytime we get, there's an activation, you know, we always we always try to go anywhere, whether it's in-state and or out, to line of duty deaths for firefighters. Honor Guard, that's just a great service thing. And then what else? Uh, I'm also part of the, uh, the Illinois Firefighter Peer Support Team. And explain that one. Matt Olson, he originally started it, and it's it's a me- mental health issues where firefighters can talk to to firefighters, reach out for help, and basically know that hey, it's okay not to be okay. That's a huge thing right now. What got you involved with that? I'm asking all these questions about this because to <laughs> me, you're a second gen firefighter, and it's a passion now with you. Even though you start out wanting to be one, <laughs> when I talk to you many times. There's a passion in your voice about the fire service and about uh, caring for others, especially even the brother and sisterhood. I think there's there's two sides of the tape to it. I won't say we're adrenaline junkies, but maybe we are a little bit. But there's that service to others because it, it, it's it's not about you. Yeah. It's not it's not about us. It's about you know helping the other. We just we just happen to get paid for it. You know, and obviously there's there's volley departments out there. They do it for for nothing. When I do trainings, you know, from the BOF class, the new thing that we do, uh, from the academy level on up, they, people expect three things from us. They expect us to be trained, they expect us to be physically able to do the job, and they expect us to be professional. Plain and simple, that's it. We're problem solvers. That's it. That's it. And the tough thing is that the job itself does take a toll. It can, yeah, at times. Yeah, things can be tough from time to time. What else is over there? The Fools. So oh, yeah. The, the, <laughs> what? The Southern <laughs> Illinois Fools. So the, the Fools organization uh, was started by some Florida firemen back in 1995, and it's like a brotherhood within a brotherhood. A couple of them were Marines. So it stands for Fraternal Order of Leatherhead Society. And what that organization does is so if, if guys aren't and gals aren't getting enough of the brotherhood, sisterhood in the fire department, this is another organization for it where they can go and serve as instructors to other departments that maybe they could provide training to that can't afford training. Also doing community service within their community or communities, wherever, wherever they're from. Kind of disbanded. We were organized in 2012. And again, life gets in the way and it's hard to keep together sometimes. I know when uh, Chief Shaw, Chief Bob Shaw, when he retired from DuCoin, I got involved with teaching a lot, teaching at U of I, teaching at Ren Lake College, and then teaching at Southeastern Illinois College. And uh, a lot of the other guy, Ronnie Rains, who's chief of Carterville, he ended up getting the chief's job, which took a lot of time. And then he's the South or regional rep for the University of Illinois. So that takes up a lot of time, too. And it's hard to keep everybody motivated and doing things. You know, we were talking about this earlier. I just talked with Chief Shaw not too long ago, and uh, he ended up retiring from Warrensburg, uh, Missouri, and he's back here in Illinois, and 
we talked about getting the band back together, so to speak, um, and, and getting people fired back up about it. Uh, I've had different people ask me about it, about getting it getting it restarted back up. So that may be in the in the near future, hopefully. I went and visited some of my buddies up in uh, Chicago and uh, the Fools organization up there. They like one of the things they do is they'll go is it every month or every two months or whatever, and they'll they'll make dinner at the uh, Ronald McDonald house for the families there. And I, I was fortunate enough to, I did that one, one time and that was a lot of fun. Very, very humbled and very honored to do that. I want to talk about your department and the reason why I think these things are really important. The brotherhood, the sisterhood is a really big deal. You talk about issues that affect people in the fire service, but I think having that camaraderie and sometimes you may not get it where you are. I, I know for the guys that live in the cities, it's kind of like you probably want to get away from it. You, you're done. But sometimes I think, you know, a lot of places there's not that support. And, and it gets down to, I think, support among each other. Oh, that's across the board. Um, <laughs> that, that's across the board. It, it, you know, and honestly, it doesn't matter whether your department's big or small, you'll have that because yeah. you you have guys and gals that are into the job and then you'll have guys and gals that are just on the job because there's a big difference, big difference. Yeah. And it's, some of it's a culture thing, culture change, depending upon what, what the leadership is at the top. You have those people that are just there or they're, or they're there for the wrong reasons or they, wanna, they want to be important. I wear this bracelet. Great guy, one of my mentors, and he, he taught a lot with my father, John Mac McCaslin, um, who passed away. He was a associate director with the University of Illinois Fire Service Institute. He died in 2019 uh, of a heart attack. And one of his his big things is, and that's his quote at the bottom: "Do something bigger than yourself." You know, and that was one of his yeah. his mantras. And because it's not about us, it's not about you. you. You know, your character and your integrity. You know, doing doing the right thing when when nobody's watching. And I know you kind of bring that in, Metropolis. What is it about Metropolis? Tell me about that department. We uh, work a twenty four seventy two, so we're on one off three. Um, we have right now. We used to have three guys to a shift, uh, and a chief. And through different things in the past, we lost people through attrition. We're down to eight now. Uh, we're being run by the police chief as of now. I think that's getting ready to change. So I, I think things um, seem to be going, looking in uh, the better direction. Or here recently, we used to, we uh, we would work to, to a shift, but say you and I are on and, and I called off sick or took vacation, you'd be at the firehouse by yourself. That now they're going to start backfilling. So they're always, as of now, uh, be two guys on a shift so we run medical we did run a bls engine and then we got knocked down to first responder because per idplh in order to run a bls engine you have to have two basics on the rig so at the time when this happened so the city wouldn't have to have two of us on they knocked us down to a first responder which you only have to have one so that's that's changing Volunteers are there are those that that come behind you guys or with you and how does that work? We've got we have eight full time guys mm-hmm. and we have eight paid on calls. 
So usually whenever there's a anything that, you know, something substantial, say a vehicle crash, you know, a structure fire, any, pretty much anything that, that the guys can, it, they get toned out, uh, you know, and hopefully somebody's coming. Uh, if not, a lot of times we'll, you know, hopefully the, the, the captain that's on will call for mutual aid. So the County Fire Protection District or, you know, the Brookport or, or Joppa for manpower. We have called Paducah for, for assistance uh, two times that I know of. I called for one years ago uh, for the ladder, for, for their ladder, because our ladder was actually gone. So we had a, an apartment fire going on a second story. or ended up not using them, but we were glad they came. And that's one of those things. For those who don't know where you are, look across the river, and there's Paducah, Kentucky. Yeah, I get that a lot. They'll ask, they'll ask that, where, where is Metropolis? Uh, it, especially the, the, the guys uh, up north that from years past, when, whenever I got involved in the Honor Garden, and when I was got involved in, in teaching with FSI they'd be like where, where is Metropolis I'm like did they not teach geography up north I mean what's going on right now I'm like we are right on I-24 we're the last exit in Illinois before you cross the Ohio River and get into uh, Paducah Kentucky oh they're like wow Illinois is a long state yeah yes it is it's huge <laughs> it's very long as far as apparatus what do you guys have so we have a ladder we have a 103 foot stick two engines we have a reserve engine, and then we have a uh, uh, 25-foot Boston whaler uh, with a pump, fire pump on it with a, with a deck gun. We have two brush trucks, a uh, command car. I think that's, yeah, that's it. You brought me a coin. Speaking I of did. coins, I didn't realize that you guys actually have a boat. Oh, oh really? Yeah, I, I did not even know that. But again, it would make sense because it's right there on the river. Yeah, well, and we didn't get that until probably... Eight years ago, maybe I want to yeah. say we've had it that long. Yeah, and it was actually on a uh, homeland security grant uh, in conjunction with law enforcement for the river. So I mean, it's technically it's not a fireboat per se. Yeah, but but we house and we take care of it. Yeah, I know you got the interstate, which is twenty four and twenty four. Yeah. You're dealing with issues with that, obviously, and that that gets into rescue. What are the kind of calls that you guys are getting during the year? You know, knock on wood, it's not been super crazy this year we we have had some pretty bad crashes out on the interstate uh, I, I'm, I'm honestly you know, fingers crossed especially with the construction that's going on right now uh, right before the i-24 bridge um, and back a little further between probably the uh, what the big bay exit and then the bridge it kind of it bottlenecks things down and we have had some from pretty good crashes fortunately no fatalities uh, and I hope it continues that way because in the past we have had some some pretty brutal fatalities out there on the interstate. Fire. You know, there for the longest time, it, things have slowed down and it's like ebbs and flows, you know. Actually, we've caught two fires this past week. It's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. What are some of the challenges like Metropolis faces, which I think are pretty typical of many of the departments that I find in this area? Oh, manpower. Yeah. <laughs> People. We don't have the manpower, especially for like, you know, say guy. There's two guys on today. I'm I'm here, so if we get a if we get a good working fire, so there's one. I know there's two guys right now that are in Mount Vernon for a uh, a Mabus hazmat training. So I'm gone. So that's three full time guys that are gone out of town, and there's only eight full time. I don't know what the rest of them are doing. So they'd have to they'd have to pull a box or pull for a uh, a second alarm for for mutual aid if they get a good working fire. You know, just for example, maybe even a car crash too on the interstate, especially with the, you know the weather 
the way that it is to give them uh, get them in rehab. And this is not just Metropolis. No, no. So many other departments, because that's the thing. This is this is some of the challenges, and with the manpower um, here, I know there's a great mutual aid system in in this area in Southern Illinois. Yeah, Mavis. Yeah, Mavis. Mutual aid box alarm system. Yeah. And tell me how that works. So you have the the different box cards, and depending on where you are, your area, you'll have you can put different assignments to to uh, incoming companies that you want on your box card. You put the call out, and and they did get dispatched, and they they have an assignment coming in. To, depending on what box it is, what box they're they are that they are on, uh, where they'll get assigned to. And the box basically meaning it's just like a second alarm. Is a second second alarm, okay. alarm third alarm. And does that that brings in the certain resources that you need? Yes. So different things. Being that the big challenge, I know you, your background and doing a lot of training. What would you like to see evolve over the next couple of years? Metropolis and the departments in the area that are dealing with some of the same issues with manpower and those challenges. Maybe training on uh, earlier response, earlier mutual aid, um, especially for departments. And again, I say. Uh, for some departments, actually all departments, because we're not, I mean, even like for Southern Illinois, you look at the region, Carbondale and Marion, they're, they are probably your, your biggest departments in Southern Illinois, but you know, they, even, even they have to call for help on occasion, whether it's, it's manpower issues or, or for uh, resources and or uh, extra manpower just to spell their people. If it's hot, I mean, you have to rehab your people. You got to take care of your people. When I moved up here, I was shocked where I am, where I live. Water doesn't come by through a hydrant. Yeah. <laughs> so is Metropolis, at least, do you guys have at least that that resource? Good water system. Yeah, good water system. We do, yeah. We're, we're used to hydrants now. We have, there are some cases where we have had to call the county in for tender shuttles out by the interstate probably and we haven't had a fire out there the one subdivision that's out by the interstate as well is has, doesn't have the best water system but we've been fortunate where we haven't had to do a lot of that unlike some other departments like here you oh, know yeah. and i know williamson county does a lot of water shuttle they're known for that and they do it very well uh, lake of egypt does the same thing because I think the big thing I've heard here was like, what's a what's a hydrant? Yeah, because I'm sure you're probably on a pressure system, not a volume system. We were talking a little bit earlier, and you were talking about two particular incidences, and I would say some of the toughest moments on the job. You know, I could see it in your eyes. I could hear it in your voice. What's interesting to me is that I'm usually expecting someone, well, this happened to me per se. I know you've probably you've had those things, but being a trainer – that puts you in a little bit different position working with individuals. So tell me what has been some of the tougher moments and what goes through your head. Getting involved in the fire service is probably one of the best things and most rewarding things yeah. that I've ever done. One of them, aside from having my two girls, because you get to meet so many great people over your career. But the downside of that is the more people that you get to meet, the higher the percentage of you knowing an individual, give me a second, that you may know somebody that that is uh, taken too soon. You were telling me about one of those. From your point of view, because you spent time with these individuals and you get to know them. So tomorrow is, is the anniversary of Corey Shaw. Now, I did not know Corey. 
but I know his father very well. I wasn't at that incident. We're talking about a father-son situation, right? Yeah. But there was a lot of lessons learned, and, th- and this is my opinion. Chief Shaw, he, he's not to blame for that. He'll always he'll take that with him, and he'll tell you that. And and myself and different other individuals that, that uh, know him and love him, we've discussed it. And you know, there's it was just one of those things that just happened. Back me up just a minute. This was a particular fire, and and what happened? This was a fire in Pinckneyville. Kind of a typical. Yeah. Yeah. The fire was going pretty well, really well. And uh, I know when Ducoin got dispatched, they were mutual on their, I, I think they were on their box card, got called for mutual aid. They came in. I know they took their ladder. Chief Shaw was there. Obviously, the, the Ducoin fire department guys off duty, paid on call guys went. He told Corey, he's like, because Corey was just 23, I think. Very ambitious, very, you know, wanting to go, wanting to go, 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 like we all do at that age. And I uh, told him, no, this is not one we're going in. We're just going to strand and drown, protect the exposures, so on and so forth. And what Corey had happened to see, he saw a ladder uh, thrown to the building. He was just going to go get that, grab that ladder and pull it away from the building. Well, unfortunately, the, at the, when he was going to get that ladder, that's when the wall gave way, collapsed, and uh, crushed him. You know, that's, that's when they, they lost Corey. I couldn't begin to imagine Again, it's one of the situations where you couldn't, you wouldn't have seen that coming at that moment. At that particular moment, no. Now, it, it look, watch when you watch the video and you look yeah. and you know different fires when you watch the so-called fire porn on YouTube yeah. and all the different buildings. You know when the fire is burning at that extent that eventually there's going to be a collapse. Now, he was just you know again young kid going it just going to grab that ladder and and pull it back so it's not damaged the the unfortunate outcome yeah yeah tell me about your relation to Corey. Uh, well and again i, I didn't know Corey, yeah. uh but i know his father real well uh, i think very highly of chief shaw and uh i know he's retired from Ducoin. he was retired for a little bit and then he took a chief's job in warrensburg missouri which is maybe 40 45 minutes west east of uh kansas city missouri uh, I talked to him just recently, and I, I found out that he re- retired. He left there and uh, came back home, so he's back in uh, Ducoin. And that's not the only one that was locked out around here. We were mentioning another particular incident. Cody Van Fossen. Yeah. And, and again, this is, this is a kid that you actually, I won't call him a kid, but he's a young, young man that young man. you um, trained, you work with. You know, when something happens on the job, if it doesn't happen to you, uh, I think it really strikes other members on the job that hit you deep inside tell me about this one so we'd had Corey in several different trains that kid would you'd see him show up at any different cornerstone class had him in a car fire class i may have had him in something else and then two or three weeks prior to the incident in christopher uh we had him in uh it was a uh, light and fight in carbondale at their training where we did the fire ops 101 right ronnie rains who's chief of carterville he'd He'd had him in several classes too. He would show up, and and he was there, and we had him in in uh, in the training that day. And we did had several different things going on, different rotations that day, kind of like what we did with you guys in uh, Fire Ops One Hundred One. You know, three weeks later, you know, the incident happened, and Ronnie actually was on. Uh, he got called on the box. He was in charge of the RIT team uh, for that incident. Very unfortunate incident. You know, it's like I told you earlier. You 
meet all these different people over time and you, the more people that you meet your or the percentage goes up for especially in the business that we're in for maybe something bad happening jake ringerine's another one that i knew mm. uh captain on uh, godfrey the guy was a uh, uh, killed at a fire mutual aid fire i met him six years ago one of the assistant chiefs up there had me come up and do some training teaching for a few classes for him up there uh at madison county and that's when i first met jake think that was uh, well that was 2019 also you know jake ringering cody van fossen and then not fire related but then we lost one of our guys uh in october of 19 uh chad parker that's pretty tough how Uh, do you handle that stuff talk about it yeah talk about it talk about it whether it's you know i i've been pretty fortunate to have a lot of different array of people that i you know, talk about stuff with, you know, just something as simple because there's a lot of people that'll compartmentalize it and they'll talk it away and not talk about it. And it just, it builds up, builds up and it turns into other stuff by just having a conversation about it relieves that pressure. It's that simple. You know me now there may be sometimes, and again, I'm just speaking for myself and I know of other people that that that's happened to that it, that it works, you know, um, and maybe, depending upon the circumstances or whatever it is, there may have to be another level of help that you receive because it's maybe really eating at a person. Everybody's different, you know, but as, as long as, if you have a conversation, man, it lets it out. It, you know, you can, you can relate to it. Cause I, you know, after the incident with Cody, um, Ronnie and I, this is harder than I thought. <laughs> That's okay. <clears throat> Ronnie and I had several conversations, um, about that because he he uh and i don't even mean to speak for him but it affected him greatly uh but just by having a conversation about it and he you know there's we're pretty tight with a lot of different people especially some of the ones we teach with and guys reached out and uh kept tabs and talked about it and talked it out and uh i think that that helped a lot i know it did experiences with it i know many others uh, i was talking with my son many have heard he talked about i asked him how many people or how many firefighters he's worked with that have taken their own lives mm. and in his short time which has now been 10 years but he's had six that took their lives i know one in particular yeah. i knew i had him as a student several times i actually met that kid when he was a good friend of mine after he left the institute his first chief job was in fitchburg wisconsin and that's when i first met his dad who just recently retired i think last year as uh, the assistant chief of of madison which was his son i kept tabs with him when when he when he first told me that he was getting hired and going to memphis and we'd text quite a bit and he hit me he'd shoot me pictures and video on of on snapchat which Hell, the only reason I ended up with Snapchat was because of my girls, and I, and they wouldn't even add me. <laughs> so, so I, you know, I, there was that, and and then uh, when I first got the news about him, I just I was absolutely devastated because I mean, here you have a kid had the world by the the cojones, and you know the the plan was his dad and was going to retire, and they were going to end up moving down to Memphis, and you know, right because he had a street glide, and because we'd talk bikes, guys, I have a street glide, and I just, uh, you know, that that was uh, that was that was really tough, and I know that they've had others, but that's the one that I because I knew that kid personally, 
and that was that was tough. That was tough. I hated it for his for his family. There's one thing when we go through it, but then we also go through the pain with everybody else. You know, you have 30 years. You got up. You kind of have a, a viewpoint. You're second generation. You're second gen, and the fire service. So you kind of know. This kind of comes with the territory. If you were talking to somebody right now that is really dealing with some tough stuff, not able to handle it. Something happened to somebody else. They can't handle it. And you were talking about getting more help. Oh, there's there's uh, there's a lot of different things that the the, the Illinois firefighter support uh, team is at. There's uh, Rosecrans. There's several different uh, organizations. There's uh, React, but it's, the there. whole point is to get professional help, right? Yeah. Or and again, if if you don't, you know, watch your people. You know, keep keep tabs on one another. If somebody's not doesn't seem right, then then bug them. You know, it, you know if you, if you care about them, it, it doesn't matter if you piss them off. Just make sure they're okay. And if they're not okay, then then get them some help. Make them talk. And if it's not, if they're not going to talk to you, then then get them to talk to somebody else. Because it is a thing, you know. Because there for a long time it was a stigma. Ah, well, you don't. Ah, whatever. You don't. You don't need to talk to anybody. Ah, toughen up, kid. Blah blah blah. You know, which that only goes so far, especially in this day and age. Now that we're, it's it's being talked about. I mean, it's it's okay not to be okay. It's it's not a bravado thing. Because I mean, if you don't let things bother you, or if things don't bother you, then you may be wired a little different. Or you could be hiding something that just hasn't come out of the bottle yet. That could be too, you know. And then when it does, it's it's probably not going to be a good thing. You guys deal with that a little bit in in training. Or is that changing slowly? A lot of the classes that we do and through the university, yeah. they started the resiliency program. And there's there's always there's a uh, an hour portion that we do depending on what the class is, and you can do a even like a four hour class, or it could even go go longer. Some of those are more in depth, and we have workbooks where it makes people have to write things down and actually like open your mouth and like speak about things. You don't necessarily have to, but it but it's that that outlet there, that gauge to maybe prompt people to want to maybe open up, and, that, and that's not always the case, and it doesn't have to be right then. But as long as it gets people to thinking, and you don't have to talk to talk to somebody else, just get it out, and that is just like a, a pressure relief valve and it helps like all that weight's lifted off your shoulder i've had that told to me by different people you know that just simply having a conversation about something is just such a relief and it's a release so i know it's helped me with stuff before but again everybody's different anything with you that you've had to deal with that has been a challenge being laid up so when i i got hurt at a fire years ago and and I, I never missed any time i ended up with a herniated disc in my neck tore uh, my rotator in my shoulder wow and uh i just continued to work but i was always in you know i, I hurt um and it wasn't until maybe two years after that i ended up getting surgery being laid up was difficult for me because i couldn't go to i couldn't be on the job and i couldn't teach i couldn't be around fell into a depression and i ended up having to take medicine just being laid up because i couldn't do what i wanted to do couldn't couldn't be involved in the fire service i had to just bide my time and wait and that that was tough for me to be away from that that's amazing is that again part of your second gen thing i don't know i don't <laughs> the drive is is it and again is it the love for the job and then the thing wanting oh, to help people yeah i oh, love the job yeah love the job love the job love the uh 
the individuals that, that are into the job I'm around, that I'm able to teach with my mentors. Eddie Enright, who's a retired uh, chief from the city of Chicago, who uh, he's been retired for many years. I think he's my dad's age. One of the things he says when he gives presentations, I mean, he talks about, you know, he's not standing up there alone. There's, there's all these people beside him that he has with him. And, and I think that's, you know, all his mentors and people that he came up with that he looked up to and, and revered like many of us do. Uh, same way, same same way here. You're talking about different rescues and stuff. There was two kids that uh, fell in the ice through the trout pond out at Fort Massac. They were walking across the ice and the sister fell in. I, I can't even remember how old they were. And then the brother went in after her and he fell through. And it was fortunate that they were they they walked from the the one side instead of the opposite side because it was deeper on the other side. And then the third, because there was three three kids, the girl she went and called for help. The call came out, and, and myself and uh, Keith Davis, an EMA director for for Metropolis, he was a paid on call fireman at the time. We got there first because I'm looking at the kids and I'm just like zoomed in, and he's like, "What are we gonna do, Bob?" And I knew the guys were coming, so I took my stuff out of my pocket and just started going into the water. By the time I got up to my, my hands were so cold, I had to break the ice with my elbows. But I knew Keith was at the edge of the water with me. I got to him and then brought him out. They were about up to their shoulders in the water, but if they would have come from the other side, they would have been under the water. So it ended up being a good outcome. I ended up with strep throat after oh, that. Man. I know when they when they got to the hospital, their the kids' core temperature was like ninety five. So I mean, they weren't in the water like super long. Yeah, but yeah, it was it was cold. It was cold. And then we didn't have any. We didn't have ice suits then. We have them now. We just got them recently, actually. What they call the Gumby suits. Yeah, and that's being right there on the river too. That's is that where that was? No, well, that, that no, it was by it was it was at Fort Massac. Okay, at the trout pond that they okay. have. Yeah. Yeah, and there there was a, another fire that we had. It was like two blocks down from my house. Actually, I was off duty. The kids got out, but it, you could hear the mother screaming in the house. And we just were sitting there waiting on the engine to come. We got in, made a knock, and ended up closing the bedroom door. Eventually, getting her out. She didn't. She didn't survive. I've always replayed that in my mind, rethinking, well, what could I have done different? What could I have done? What could we have done better? It, as it worked out, trying to get the bedroom window open, it, and it reminds me of it was, because as soon as I was trying to smash it, it, it wasn't going. And I'm like, what is going on here? Well, it was like windows, like on a factory. They were like steel J-channel. Mm, the entire wow. The entire window casing was was it was all it was all metal we ended up having to use uh the cutters cut the window away uh in order to get her out yeah those are kind of two that stick out in my mind there was one uh, it was actually out in the county because i used to run with the county quite a bit when i first got on in, in metropolis there was a 17 year old boy out in the county that was killed in a house fire um, i ended up crawling over the top of him i thought it was furniture after everything because we didn't have ticks at the time learning that it was it was it was a body it was him these are the things that you say do replay in your mind sometimes not all the time but you you know different things may hit you where you you think about 
a time when well this happened or that happened or or this particular rescue or you know vehicle crashes some of those are pretty notable that you remember you just remember the smells and the looks one comes to mind another one out in the just outside the, uh, the county it was a head-on and uh this truck was just totally involved gone and you could see the body partially this man this gentleman was face down his body was badly burnt when we picked him up to put him in the body bag his his face was preserved because it was in the soft mud soft dirt you know that was just one we had uh, a head-on with uh that involved maybe three vehicles i think five were killed there was only one survivor that was a pretty horrific crash the one i always call it northbound southbound but it's east and west on i-24 down by us one of the vehicles heading to Paducah crossed the median. I don't know if they fell asleep or lot or, or what happened. Hit another vehicle head on, and then involved another vehicle. There was only one survivor out of it. Memories they don't teach you this, right? Not back then, no. Because no. you didn't you didn't talk about stuff like that. As far as like how to handle different situations, or you know, whereas now like you were talking about earlier about the resiliency program and the different mental health aspects of the job. Advice, what would you give to newbies and people in the fire service? Be a sponge. If you have enough common sense about you, you'll know the senior people to listen to and the ones that you maybe should shy away from. You'll know people that'll, that are in it for the right reasons and are always doing the right thing. You'll figure those things out along the way. Always be a student of the game. You know, I, I, look, at, I look at myself. I had, I took FAE which is fire apparatus engineer. One of the worst classes I've ever taken. I say that because I hate math. And one of the best classes I've yeah. ever taken and got a lot out of it. And and I was the oldest in the class. Probably had five or six students, I mean, that I taught in fire academy. And this this one young man, he's like, um, Instructor Williams. And I'm like, time out. First off, we're not in the academy anymore. It's Bobby. I said, you may continue, <laughs> jokingly. He said, is it weird for you to be in class with us? I'm like, what What do you mean? He's like, well, I mean, you're an instructor. I'm like, here's the deal. I should have had this class like 26 years ago as an engineer, but it wasn't a priority back then. I said, to me, you should always be training, always be doing stuff. As long as you're on the job, you always have to be a student of the game because everything's always changing, whether it's building, construction, tactics, whatever. We're always trying to improve on things, and if you're not keeping up with that, then you need to put your papers in and, and go do something else, especially for a job that can kill you in a, in a second. I didn't tell them I feel old being in here with all of you young kids, but I, I said, no, I, it, 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 it recharges my batteries, and, you know, I'm, I'm keeping up with the times. You know, I get to listen to the, to the new blood coming in, you know, and what their thoughts are, because I was you years ago. It's a circle. That's good stuff. Well, Bobby Williams, uh, Metropolis Fire Department, second gen, passion on the job there. Appreciate you being here. Oh, thanks for having me, Tom. Bobby Williams, second gen, and that's our storyline. Just a reminder, Emergency FD Storyline is on various podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Tune in and Alexa, Pandora, Stitcher, just to name a few. 
Be sure to subscribe and follow and be notified when our next podcast is available or just to listen to a past podcast. And by the way, tell others about Emergency FD Storyline. Pass the word. Be sure to check out our website, emergencyfd.com. That's emergencyfd.com. And while you're there, you can help support the production of this podcast with a donation of any amount. Just click on that Donate button on the website. And if you would like to contact Emergency FD Storyline with comments or to suggest a story or a subject for an upcoming podcast, email us. Here's our address, storyline at emergencyfd.com. That's storyline at emergencyfd.com. I'm Tom Mann, and I want to thank you for listening. There are many stories coming on Emergency FD Storyline. Join us.